Welcome to Hope for the Heart. I thank you so much for joining today. This is uh, William Rogers bringing the message out of the book of Revelation. As uh, many of you probably already know, I am doing a verse-by-verse study through this uh, tremendous book, which is proving to be quite the challenge. But today we're in chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. This is, uh, in my opinion, has always been one of the most difficult chapters to teach from because of so much is needed to explain the things that are here. So bear with me today. I'm going to try to get through this, and if we get to the end and you say, well, that really wasn't so complicated, then I will have, uh, I have done what I was supposed to do. Uh, so that is my goal today, to try to make it as understandable as possible as we get into this chapter. So uh, for the point of reference and the context to what we're looking at today, if you have a copy of God's Word and would like to follow with me, I'm in Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And again, I read out of the uh, New American Standard uh, Version, which is uh, uh, better for me, I, I guess because when I went to seminary, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, that's what they used, so I just kind of got used to it. So Revelation chapter 1, uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, excuse me, And the word of God reads, beginning in verse 1, And there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, Rise and measure the temple of God in the altar, and those who worship in it. And leave out the court which is outside outside the temple, and do not measure it. For it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for forty-two months." Verse 3, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone desires to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. If anyone would desire to harm them in this manner, he must be killed. These have the power to shut up the sky in order that the rain may not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with every plague as often as they desire. Now, we come to, uh, of course, you could tell by the reading of that that uh, we're going to be approaching next week, not this week. We're going to be approaching next week the two witnesses and ask uh, the the. The lifelong question is, who are they? Is it Moses and Elijah? Well, we're going to take a look at that uh, next time and see that. But we have to set the stage. And and the stage is going to be set uh, today. Uh, And I've entitled this message, I think it's a very important title for this very important section. I'm entitling this message, A Temple for Israel. You see, that's also an age-old question, is will there be a new temple for Israel? Uh, during the tribulation period or during the kingdom. And I'm going to answer that today. At least I'm going to try to answer that and explain it today. So that's my goal. And also I wanted to introduce to you something that will be taking place tomorrow or either Monday. Um, For those of you who are keeping up and and listening, I'm going to be doing another uh, message about three or four times a week because of the of the fast-moving world and the, and the stage being set and getting set uh, for, the, for the tribulation period and for the Antichrist. Uh, so I'm going to be doing what is, uh, I know everybody calls it this, that does it. It's called ministry updates or prophecy updates. 
And so that's what I'm going to do. Prophecy updates, and uh, it'll be a separate podcast uh, listed there on the website. You'll be able to see it clearly, hopefully. Uh, So there'll be two things you can choose from, a study of the Word of God in the book of Revelation, and then a prophecy update. And uh, we just hadn't figured out yet whether to number them or whether to title them. So be watching for that, hopefully, tomorrow. So let me just give you uh, some general observations and understanding this. I've already said the name, of the, t- the title is a temple for Israel. And the general characteristics of this is, it, it's, it's first of all, this is, we're in a pause or an interlude uh, that, that takes place uh, between chapter 10, verse 1, and chapter 11, verse 14. And it's getting ready for the seventh trumpet to blow. And so it's really unfortunate that we have chapter titles and stuff all in between here because it kind of messes up the flow. But the chapter of divisions between 10 and 11 is, is, uh, is a little disturbing sometimes. But chapter 11, verse 1, is really a continuation <clears throat> of chapter 10 uh, by way of observation. Then the, also in, in this it would be in chapter 10, verse 11, John is told, it says, They said to me, referring to the angel and the one who had the book, They said to him, You must prophesy again concerning peoples and nations tongues and kings and we said this means uh, this is uh, his way this the word means to preach or to proclamate or to proclaim the gospel and this is uh, what is john is being told to do so continue doing what you're doing john uh, recording this and that way people are hearing the message of the gospel reading in the book of revelation and of course john chapter uh, the book of revelation chapter one says they'll be blessed if they read this book And so, but he also says something else. You see chapter 11, verse 1, it says, it starts off with the conjunction and. And there was given to me. And that takes it right back up to chapter 10, verse 11. They said to me, you must prophesy. And they gave him a measuring rod like a staff. And the same voice says to him, rise, measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Just a general observation to help us kind of frame this up a little bit. So they say to him two things, you must prophesy and you must measure, and then in chapter verse uh, chapter 11, verse 2, you must not measure something. So, uh, but I want you to understand some these general observations because it helps to understand the, the, really the flow of this interlude. This interlude, we said, was given by the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to encourage us, and particularly comfort and encourage the people who will be living through these events at this time because we are certain because of Daniel, because of Jeremiah, and because of the book of Revelation that the people living during that time, probably the Christians, those 144,000, are going to be able to have the playbook, which is the book of Revelation, to read and let people know and to warn people of the coming judgments, what's next. And so this will be a really a time of refreshment to get to chapter 10 and verse 11 in some ways to encourage the people. And so to get an idea of this and another, uh, another general observation would be, number five, during the Great Tribulation, this is going to happen. When we get to, a, a, when we get to living this through or people living this, when they get to this point, they are halfway through the, the, the tribulation period, or beginning in the very first part of the great tribulation period, which is the last three and a half years. And then there's two witnesses that's going to come along and help 
are to work with these 144,000 that have been supernaturally sealed by God and protected to be preaching and proclaiming during this time, which we talked about those in Revelation chapter 7. Well, these two are going to add to that. They are going to have a ministry, and it's during the last half of the Great Tribulation period. It lays it out specifically uh, in verse 3. It says, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and we're going to look at those next week, uh, and, and they will prophesy for, here it is, here it is, for 1,260 days. That's just another way of saying three and a half years. And so the last half of the three and a half years, and we'll give you some, some indicators as to why we say it's the last half. I realize there's a few teachers out there that say it's the first half, but I truly believe it is the last half. But I also think, as a general observation, that this is a major teaching uh, during this time to take advantage of this to show us that, uh, again, the centrality of the teaching and the movement of all this is to get ready for the kingdom. You see, in, 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 in Matthew chapter 24, we are given some information there, and I've referred to this a couple of times in Matthew chapter 24, that uh, it refers, the terminology here is that in verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, is that th this is the beginning of birth pains. And uh, it says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and you will be hearing of wars, rumors of wars, see that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. And it goes through this, and this, it says it's the beginning of, Verse 8, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Well, birth pains indicate a coming birth. And so we look at this, and I've actually had people ask me, say, well, if they're birth pains, what's the birth? What is the birth that's coming that these pains are signifying its closeness or its nearness? Well, and that's a great question. The birth pains are the coming kingdom, Christ returning to earth and setting up his kingdom. That is the birth. That is what we're headed towards. And we can see indications in this particular section of a temple, and that becomes very important for us, showing us that there is a temple, and the, uh, the work of this is to lay out the, some, some things about this that prove to us and give evidence of the fact that there really will be a temple. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because they don't have a temple. In fact, you can even see it, just generally speaking, right here in verse 1. And there was giving me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, rise and measure the temple of God. What temple? Well, if you don't ask this question, what temple, you don't even really know what temple. There is no temple. At this point, today, as I'm reading this and talking about this, but in that day... When that comes, however close it is, and I think it's extremely close, that there will be a temple. And I'm going to share some of that in just a minute. So that becomes very good because we know that, uh, we, I've always heard that one of the signs is just watch Israel and see when they get ready to build their temple. Well, just last week, and I'll be giving a bunch of these kinds of things on the uh, prophecy updates. Just last week they announced uh, that if they when they decide to go ahead with their temple, that it will really only take six days, maybe less, to have their temple set up so that they can reinstitute again the sacrifices that take place in that temple. So that is actually incredible. You don't have to have years to construct. And I'm going to even talk about that again in just a few minutes. So as we come to chapter 10 and chapter 11, uh, looking at this interlude, and we're in chapter 11, we, we see some things that are, I think are very, very important. 
So chapter 10 is a reminder that no matter how many demons run all over the earth, which was chapter 9, no matter how much demonic power is released, and I think uh, we're seeing the beginning of demonic power now. I think this this uh, this Russian war is a picture of the evil that is in this world, uh, especially behind the one that's in charge of Russia. Uh, the demonic power being released and the, and the ha- havoc and the devastation across the globe According to chapter 10 and 11, I think it's a reminder for us that God is still in charge. Uh, I love the way I've heard different writers do this, that God is large and in charge. Christ is still coming. The end is still very near, and we find that is the truth in chapter 10. And so that's what brings us to where we are now in chapter 11, is understanding this, that it is still very near and coming quickly. And uh, before we meet the two witnesses, I've got to lay all this groundwork out because the two witnesses are going to be in and out of the temple, and the temple has to be laid out first. So the first thing I want you to notice, all that was an introduction, uh, the first thing I want you to notice is there, there is this command, and it's found in verse 1, and there was given to me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, rise and measure the temple and the altar and those who worship in it. Well, measuring the temple of God and the altar and who's in it, that's really what they're to do. John had a lot of visions, and every once in a while, as one writer points out, he is getting involved, just like in chapter 10. He got involved in the own vision. He wasn't just sitting back watching something. He's taking part in it. He was told to eat that little book. Now he's getting involved in this vision, and he's putting in work to measure the temple. And so he's told by someone to do this. There was given to me, he says, Uh, The same person who spoke to him in chapter 10, the measuring rod like a staff, it was just that. It was a rod used in ancient times for measuring. Uh, John has just received this prophecy, and he has been told that he is supposed to say many more things, write many more things. It's almost as if chapter 10, verse 11, is renewed commission for John to write the book of Revelation. And now as he's ready to write, he's going to actually involve in the vision that he's been given and he's told to take this measuring rod. Well, that word for the measuring rod, it refers to what grew in the Jordan Valley at that time, and it was really just a big reed. I tend to liken it to, because I've seen some pictures of what uh, people think it, it probably was, uh, is that it's almost like a, a sugarcane stalk. It's that sturdy. It's, it's sturdy. And uh, they grew it down in the, the lowlands of the Jordan Valley, and they grew it to be somewhere between 10 and 15 feet high. It was a hollow stalk, like a bamboo stalk, uh, and they were very light, and you could cut them down, and they, they made good, it, you, you could measure by it. Uh, it's, I, they didn't have a tape measure, so I, of course, would have used a tape measure, but I, didn't, I wasn't there, and I didn't have a tape measure, or they wouldn't have a tape measure. So they used a measuring rod. So he's told to get up, measure the temple. Now the question is, why is he doing this? Well, what's the point of this? What are the... What are the, uh, the Two things, I think, in the Bible that it gives us as to why this might be taking place. One is, in the Old Testament, we see it clearly. It's marked out for judgment. God measures or marks out for for judgment. But the second is always ownership. God, in the Old Testament history, has a time of measuring out something for destruction. Uh, And we can see evidences of these. If we had time, we could go through some illustrations. Uh, But it's a way of saying I'm confining my destruction or my judgment to this particular place, location, or to this particular people. But that doesn't seem to fit this context of chapter 11. 
What does seem to fit is that God measured out things as being his own. In other words, he's marking them as his possession, his personal possession for the sake of preservation. Uh, For example, in chapter 21 of Revelation, we read carefully, he's measuring the new Jerusalem, the the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, Verse 15 of Revelation 21, the, uh, the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And so we see it again there. And so the, the measuring of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city in which the saints will dwell forever and ever, it seems it's a, a similar usage of the measuring that John is instructed to act here. God wants him to measure out his temple because, here it is, it belongs to him, God. It belongs to him, and he's identifying this temple as his. That is particularly true because he says, measure out the temple, the altar, and those who worship in it. This appears to be uh, defining the parameters of God's property, what is belonging to him, or better, uh, who it is that belongs to him. In fact, it would be easy to understand that God is saying, I'm going to measure out the people of the temple, the people who worship in it, the people to whom it belongs, namely Israel. And if we can understand that, I think it puts us a long way into chapter 11's understanding Because we understand that God is measuring off Israel or marking off Israel for protective, persevering, uh, preserving, I mean, favoring position. uh, And that really is the whole idea of this. Now, it's good for us to understand, uh, and it was good for John to understand, because when John wrote this, it's been estimated it was around 90 A.D. Well, in 70 A.D., and John would, would know this very clearly, The city was devastated and destroyed. The temple was literally leveled to the ground, not one stone left upon another. That's the way uh, Matthew chapter 24 describes when Jesus, out of his own words, was saying this. So 25 years uh, before John is taken up here into heaven to get this revelation, he is receiving this revelation. Israel, for all intents and purposes, has been literally overrun by the Romans 900, and listen to this, and 85 towns had been devastated by the Romans. Over a million Jews had been massacred by the, uh, the Romans. And Israel's future at this point, at the time of the revelation when it began, looked pretty, pretty bleak, I would say. And you get in this prophetic picture for John and for all of us, the idea that God is measuring out his temple and those who worship in it for preservation, preservation in the future. And so that must have been an encouragement to John. Keep in mind that the Antichrist has already desecrated this temple uh, just shortly before this. And so he's already largely involved. Now, this is for the people living through this. He's largely involved in the massacre of a lot of Jewish people and Gentile people. And at the same time, there's 144,000 Jews, 12 from every tribe are already evangelizing and bringing people to Christ. They are uh, sharing the gospel and many, many people are being saved. In fact, Romans eleven twenty five and 26, all Israel will be saved. And I think what this is saying to us is that I'm measuring out protection and favor over my people, Israel. Not necessarily a temporal protection because many of them will die Some of them will live, and we will see more about that in just a few minutes. But the temple refers to the inner temple. 
And that is, is, is it's such an exciting thing to me because I, 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 people always say, well, how do we know Israel is going to have a temple during the tribulation period? Because I think most everybody would agree that we know they're going to have one during the kingdom. But why do we think they're going to have one during the tribulation period? Well, this word temple here refers to the inner temple, the Holy of Holies, in the holy place, and that's important. The inner temple was the holy of holies, and around it was the holy place. And then he adds the altar, probably refers to uh, outside area where usually in the book of Revelation we've been looking at the inner altar, which is the incense altar. Uh, and the reason I say this because it was around the brazen altar that the worshipers gathered in that one place. They couldn't go into the holy place. Only the priest could go in there. So they had to remain outside into this outside area. And so when he says to measure the temple, he means the holy place and the holy of holies. The altar would be outside area where the people would go to express their worship and offer their sacrifices. And that's where they prayed uh, with incense, went up into the altar, went up on the altar uh, behind in the holy place. And those who worship in it, well, who would that be? Well, it would be Jews. It would be Jews during the time of the Great Tribulation. This implies... To follow this thought, this implies that there will be a temple during the time of the tribulation. This is where we find evidence of the temple. How can they be worshiping in a temple if they don't have one? Like right now, we can't see the fulfillment of it today because they don't actually have the temple. <clears throat> so this is why Bible scholars believe there will be a rebuilding of the temple during the time of the tribulation. And when the temple is put up, the Jews will begin to worship there. Uh, now remember, at the time John wrote this, there was no temple. There wasn't one there. There wasn't one during the the uh, early church. There wasn't one during the uh, during the time of the Reformation. There's not one even today. It has not been one. So Jesus predicted in Matthew twenty four two, not one stone would be left upon another, and that's exactly the way it's been. There has not been a temple since their temple was destroyed in seventy A.D. So yet, John is told to go and measure the temple, so there must be another one put up. Uh, it must have been something for John to even see this and to be given this example. Uh, and we, go, we could go back as far as the Old Testament in books like Amos and Daniel and see verses uh, where we're told there's going to be uh, another temple. In, in Zechariah chapter 6, uh, it talks about a temple. Uh, Ezekiel 40 to 48 talks about the glorious temple in the future. Now, admittedly, most of these prophetic references look to the temple the Messiah will build in the kingdom. But at the time at which the Jews were living, time in which John was alive, he would only anticipate generally a future temple would be built. Now he hears something specific about this temple. God is measuring a future temple out for the protection later, but John sees one here. And so we know that there will be a temple. But I want to give you another evidence for it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. That's Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Again, you don't have to write this down. Uh, but Daniel talks about a temple. He talks about the prophecy of the coming Antichrist. And it says the Antichrist comes. He'll make a covenant with Israel for one week, seven years. And that's for seven uh, complete years. And in the middle of the week, or in the middle of the three and a half years, uh, he'll put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering. So... Uh, he's going to stop that. They're going to get used to it and, 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 and get in there and just love having that. Now, it's interesting, during the week of the tribulation, the Antichrist stops the sacrifice. 
And then you would have to ask the question, well, where is the sacrifice and grain offering happening? Well, it can only happen in the temple. The only place it can be done legitimately is in the temple. That leads us to believe that during the seven-year period, a temple will be constructed. It will be put to use. The pact or the covenant with the Antichrist will give the Jews freedom to worship in their own temple. Midweek, he will stop it. And that will be called the abomination of desolations. We see this uh, in several different places. Matthew 24, Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Uh, And then in Daniel chapter 12, we find a similar kind of indication that God is going to be involved in letting them restore a temple, verse 11, uh, on. So there again, there is a future kingdom, uh, a temple. So in the New Testament, I would point to you Matthew chapter 24 to indicate to us there will be a temple, verse 15, because what Daniel refers to, the abomination of desolation, happens in their temple. But they don't have a temple now, so there will have to be a temple met and built. And then an important text is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through verse 4 2. Speaking about the son of destruction, the man of the sin, the Antichrist, it says he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being the very God that they're they're wanting to serve. So this takes place in the middle of the tribulation period. And again, Second Thessalonians confirms they will have a temple. So I know I'm talking kind of fast because there is just so much here. Now the scriptures then conclusively tell us uh, not only there are prophecies in the Old Testament for a kingdom uh, temple, but there will be this temple. Now, follow this. The Jews uh, at midpoint will have their sacrificial system back. They'll be doing the sacrifices according to the Old Testament law. This is by way, this will be their fourth temple. It's interesting to note, Solomon built was the first temple. Remember, David wanted to build it, but God said, no, your son's going to build it. Solomon built the first one. Zerubbabel rebuilt and established a lot of wing parts to it, and it was considered another temple. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel built the second one, and then Herod, during the time of Christ, was working on and finished the third one, and that was destroyed in A.D. 70, and there's not been another one yet. And the tribulation Jews will build the fourth one, and then Christ will build the fifth one during the millennium described in some of those Old Testament prophecies that I just gave you, Amos and Zechariah and Daniel, such. So, this, by the way, is the dream and the passion and the hope of the Orthodox Jews. They want their temple. They want it on the same Mount Moriah. The the problem is it's now occupied by the holiest place uh, in the Muslim world on the Dome of the Rock, and John sees here that they will have a temple. Now, those questions as to... That is are not addressed, so we don't. I don't even want to go there. But John sees that they will have a temple, and what's going to to mean to the early Jews in the tribulation period is they are going to be reinstituting again the sacrifices and their old style of worship. And I believe, and I think this is what's important. I believe this is part of God's preparing them to repent and to look for their Messiah. I think that many secular Jews have in the world, or there are in the world, most of the Jews are secular Jews. The Orthodox Jews are very small in number, and most of the Jews are only into the traditions. They have forgotten, really, the sacrificial system. When it's all reinstituted, and they all flood back to it because of the love of that tradition, they're going to have to come 
face to face with the fact of their sin. I think that's what the sacrificial system does. It points to the need of their sin to be atoned for. And those sins need a sacrifice. And those sacrifices which they offer on the altar do not take away sin, do not transform their lives. And all of a sudden, the New Testament reality of the gospel being preached by those 144,000 and by these two witnesses uh, is going to strike heavy in the hearts of many of these. And I believe the reinstitution of this kind of stuff is what's going to really be a component in God redeeming the people of Israel. Because we know in Romans chapter 11, God, all Israel will be saved shortly after this or just before his return. So, with the Antichrist working and the 144,000 working in opposite of him, bringing the gospel, uh, and remember the Antichrist says you either worship him or die, But the institution of Judaism again in the temple is going to stimulate the hearts of the Jewish people towards the Messiah. The fear of the Antichrist is not going to stimulate their hearts toward the Messiah. It's the reinstituting of the sacrificial system that will do it. I believe we'll focus them so that the Zechariah saying will be true. Zechariah chapter 12 verses 10 and uh, we, we've been over that, and we'll look at that again at another time. But I believe that chapter 13, verse 8, it will come about in the land, declares the Lord. Two parts of it will be cut off, but a third will be left. And this is where the, it's getting ready for the return. And uh, we see that uh, one-third of the, uh, the Jewish people at that time will be destroyed or, or cleansed or, or uh, refined by fire. Uh, God will be testing them. And... Uh, but two-thirds will live and will be saved. No, actually, I got that reversed. It will be one-third will be saved. Uh, and that's right before the coming of Christ. But we're, we're, I'm, not, I'm only mentioning that because we're going to get into that much later. So I believe the measuring out the temple because he has plans for it. And those plans have to do with God's purpose being lived out in the redemption of Israel and now, wouldn't that be great news for John that Israel was not primarily set aside or permanently set aside, but that the promises of God made in the Old Testament, in fact, many saints today need to realize this, God is not forgetting Israel. God made a promise to Israel that he's going to keep them. The church doesn't replace Israel. Israel is still right there where God has them, and that's the point of the tribulation period is that God once again is going to continue working towards the fulfillment of the promises he made to them way back in Genesis chapter 12. The promises God made in the Old Testament were given were going to come to pass. It's not they might come to pass, they are going to come to pass. There is going to be a future temple, not just a millennial temple, but even a tribulation temple in which God will accomplish his purpose towards the millennium. Now, I think it's very important to understand this because this sets the stage. Now look at verse 2 real quick. I only have a second. Verse 2, leave out the court. And I think the temple, it was very interesting, the inner uh, heart of the city, uh, inner heart of the Holy of Holies, just outside of that, the holy place, just outside of that is the courtyard of the brazen altar where the sacrifice is made. And outside of that, uh, I'm trying to remember all the details of the temple, are called the court of the Gentiles and he's told not to measure that the Jews could go to the go past that 
And uh, But the Gentiles could not. And he's saying, don't measure what's on the outside. Don't measure the place where the Gentiles are. That doesn't belong to me. What God is saying is, I have no plan, no obligation, by promise to redeem Gentiles. I do have an obligation to, by promise to redeem Israel. The outer court was called the court of the Gentiles. He says, that's not mine. That's not part of this purpose or this plan. Now keep in mind, Many Gentiles will be saved. I'm not saying they won't be saved. Many will be saved, but it never says all Gentiles will be saved. But it does say all Israel will be saved. Now, that may not mean much to you, but God is following the prescription of the temple, and it says, I'm not asking you to measure the place where the Gentiles are. I don't have any long-term covenant promise with them as people. Obviously, he is redeeming them out of every tongue, tribe, nation, and nowhere does it say all Gentiles will be converted, but the Jews, after the, uh, after the rebels are purged, will be saved. Just a footnote. This clearly gives the idea to me that the church is not present. Why? Because this doesn't feel like the church age. It just doesn't read like the church age. It, does, it sounds more like going back to uh, a definite uh, division between the Jew and the Gentile. Measure out the Jew as my people, but not the Gentile. And the middle wall of partition, which is down at the church age, is back up for the tribulation period. And that's a very interesting thing. I don't have time to to really touch on that. Uh, But I know that uh, this is a very important thing, realizing that they will have their temple, because it's a confirmation to us. God never forsakes His Word. God never turns against His own Word. His promises are true, and He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised to redeem us, uh, and so we, it is a, a tremendous time. Israel can look to this and be thankful. They are going to have their temple. Uh, and it is, It's just a glorious, glorious thing to realize that they are going to have that temple. And so when we, we look at this and we come to this... Uh, one of the things I see about it is going to be a temple. And God says, I'm going to make you my people again. He will. God said, I'm going to redeem you. He will redeem them. And this is his promise to the Jews. And guess what? God keeps his promises. Well, for now, this is William Rogers. Again, be looking for the uh, prophecy update starting tomorrow or Monday. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Look forward to next time when we will meet these two witnesses. Thank you so much.